This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off select mattresses by visiting casper.com fool and using promo code fool at checkout. And support for Rule Breaker Investing comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life, and that's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. All right, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Here you are, you found me. My least favorite podcast of the year. You found me. I have to do it. I don't want to do this podcast. Each year I resist wanting to do this podcast, but the fool capital F in me forces me to want to hold forth about the worst stock picks that I've made over the last three years. Now, there's some good news for this for me because if I made a really bad stock pick four years ago, it drops off the list. So, for example, last year in David's Biggest Losers Volume 2, last year I mentioned GoPro. We went over GoPro and what had happened to GoPro. Well, GoPro had really bad news once again this week and dropped even further, but it's not featured on my David's Biggest Losers Volume 3 podcast because it's no longer made within the last three years. So, yes, I have even more losers I could talk about than the ones we're talking about this week. Now, I'm always put in mind of one of my favorite Shakespeare quotes. It's I just looked this one up to double check. It's from Act 4, Scene 1 of As You Like It. I had rather have a fool to make me merry than experience to make me sad. And the reason I'm putting that out there to you is that we all have some tough moments. We all have bad stock picks. And isn't it more fun to do it as fools with each other? We can have some merriment and some fun rather than just think about the sad experiences. And in order to demonstrate that this week, I've got a few different fool voices to come in and talk with me about my worst stock picks. So I had rather have fools to make me merry than experience to make me sad. I'll be joined by a number of my favorite fools here at Fool HQ as we go over my worst six stock picks of the last three years. Now, before I welcome in my fellow fool analyst and advisor, Jim Mueller, to talk about my worst stock pick of the last three years, a few things. First of all, I want to say this is normal. It is normal to lose when you make stock market selections of your own. It is normal, no matter how good you are, sometimes if you're a rule breaker, to lose quite a lot. And each of the bad six stock picks we're going over this week, even in one of the better bull markets in all of history, has been horrible. These are horrible returns, but this is normal. I talked last year, this is one of my favorite analogies I use for investing. Investing is a lot like learning how to skate on ice. No one that I've had the pleasure of stumbling around an ice rink with nobody has expected that as they learn to skate, that they won't fall and look silly and slam into the boards. You go out there tentatively on your skates expecting to fall. And that's exactly how it is for investors. And I don't just mean learning investing. I mean even investing 30 or 40 years after you started, you're falling all over the ice out there. At least I do. And so this is 
normal. And I said normal in two respects. The other kind of normal is that it's normal for us at The Motley Fool to talk about our losers. After all, we called ourselves The Motley Fool about 25 years ago this year. We called ourselves The Motley Fool in part because we wanted you to know we're fools. We're all fools, aren't we? We make mistakes, and that's part of life. It's definitely part of investing, as will be very evident in this week's show. And this is normal. It's normal for people who call themselves fools to acknowledge that and to share out and maybe share the learnings and the insights they have around what hasn't worked for them. I don't, you don't see that a lot these days on television, financial television. You don't see people coming on talking about their bad picks or their losers. You don't see that in many other aspects of our culture today. But I think it's really great that we at The Motley Fool do this. I'm happy to do this, even though I hate doing it this week. This is normal. All right, so as I get ready to welcome on Jim Mueller, I'm going to share a couple of quotes. I'm going to do this throughout this podcast. I'll be sharing with you quotes about winning. And I've specifically hand-selected these quotes from football coaches, because it's that football time of year. I hope you enjoyed If you're a football fan, I hope you enjoyed the college football final between Alabama and Georgia, an unforgettable ending for anybody who watched that game. The Super Bowl is coming up at the start of next month for anybody, especially in the U.S., or maybe even worldwide, who cares about the Super Bowl. It's football. It's that football time of year. And darn it, I've discovered that there are a lot of quotes about winning and losing from football coaches. So here are a couple just to kick us off. This one comes from Lou Holtz, the longtime college football coach. I think of him mostly at Notre Dame, but Lou Holtz, now in his 80s, coached a lot of places. And here's a Lou Holtz quote. Winners embrace hard work. They love the discipline of it, the trade-off they're making to win. Losers, on the other hand, see it as punishment. And that's the difference. And the reason I selected that Lou Holtz quote for you is because that's what we're doing this week. We're actually disciplining ourselves. We're going through the hard work of seeing what happened to these stocks. And with the help of my foolish friends, we're going to look through the rearview mirror at the mistakes we've made. And now we're going to start looking through the windshield going forward and try not to make those same mistakes. Thank you, Lou Holtz. And then one other, Vince Lombardi, winners never quit. And quitters never win. And the reason that Vince Lombardi and I wanted to share that with you today is that a big part of success in investing and indeed in life is resilience. It's just keeping it going. In fact, I made resilience one of my five core values of the United States of America. If you're an American, I anyway think that we are a tremendously resilient country. I think that should be part of our pride in the national conversation. And so, yeah, resilience, Vince Lombardi, and stock picks. All right, let's get it started. Loser number one this year, and it's appropriate to call it number one because it is my single worst loser. I like to lead off with the worst of all. And my friend Jim Mueller, who had absolutely no responsibility in the stock pick. I mean, this is my stock pick. This is even from a service that Jim doesn't work on. But Jim, you've graciously consented to come in and talk about synchronous. Technologies. The ticker symbol is SNCR. Jim, how many years have you been at The Fool? I've been here at headquarters for a little over 10 years, but I've been a fool for about 12 years. Awesome. And what are a few of the things that you do here at The Fool? So I've uh, been a longtime uh, analyst for Stock Advisor, uh, covering both your side and Tom's side. And uh, then I was uh, picked by you to uh, be on the team that runs Phoenix One. And then when Rick Minars and you and the uh, the group launched Phoenix Two, and Rick took over that, I moved up to a lead uh, portfolio 
person on the on that team. That's right. And uh, I also added uh, work on option service with uh, Jeff Fisher and Jim Gillies. That's great. So a motley life, which is true of so many of our employees here at The Fool. Jim, a pleasure to have you join me again. You had nothing to do with this doc pick, <laughs> but somewhere around, well, the actual date was March 25th of 2015, but it was probably a month or two before that that I started paying attention to Synchronous Technologies. I picked the stock at $45.70 that day, just about three years ago. And today, as we're taping, it's gone from $45.70 to $9.33. So, for this podcast this week, we have a simple format for each of these stocks we're going to go over. Two things that went wrong, and then one thing maybe to hope for or to continue to watch. Jim, let's go right at Synchronous Technologies. A really brief background, or what does the company do in a sentence or two? They provide uh, cloud-based uh, services for customers of telecom communications companies like Verizon, or used to be AT and T as well. Uh, so, if you have upload files to the cloud, you're using Synchronous, even though it's Verizon's cloud. And they also, for a long time, they uh, uh, were paid to activate the cell phones, uh, but they've got, since gotten rid of that since you recommended mm, it. Yes, we've talked. We'll talk some about pivots. So, Jim, what is thing that went wrong? Number one for Synchronous. So, Synchronous uh, has really this uh, this past year done a lot of self inflicted damage, and so what they've done is they decided to. Uh, Get more into the cloud, and that's good because uh, the activation uh, service they provided was a flat fee, one-time fee, no recurring revenue, and people had to keep on buying cell phones and activating them for them to to grow. Right. So this is as you have your new cell phone, you're activating it. Right. And Synchronous is participating in that on the technology side for right. their for their telecom partners. Yeah, Verizon, AT and T, and all those guys. And uh, so they decided to, uh, but they also had they also had a cloud business. Uh, where they provided uh, the hosting and uh, interaction uh, for people uploading files and uh, videos and pictures and stuff like that. Uh, and that's a recurring revenue stream versus the one-time only revenue stream that the activation business was. And so they decided to uh, uh, go further into that and buy a company called uh, Intralinks. Uh, holdings, Intralinks Holdings, and the CEO of that, Ronald Hovspian, I think I'm saying that right, uh, would become the CEO of uh, the combined company, Mm -hmm. and he did. And uh, the longtime CEO and founder, Steve Waldis of Synchronous, stepped back as executive chairman of the board. And but but that didn't go out work out so well, and uh, they had to. their revenue growth targets weren't going to be met, so they announced to the market that that's not going to uh, be uh, doable. And then they also had a second problem. Uh, so this is the second thing that went wrong, in that they, at the same time, found out that they had to uh, restate some of their financial statements uh, through for 2015 and 2016. And then later on last summer, they added 2014 to the mix. Mm. So two bad things. A bad acquisition with Interlinks, uh, which they have since sold to a uh, a group of investors, uh, Cirrus. And how remarkable is that? And well, what's, what's an what's, acquisition? They took that guy that they acquired as their new CEO, and now just a year, not much more than a year later, they've now sold that company back out and tried to become synchronous again. Right, and become synchronous. What What's more remarkable is they made profit on the sale. <laughs> <laughs> they sold. They bought it for roughly eight hundred and twenty million, and they sold it for right around a billion dollars. Okay, <laughs> so good for them on that. Uh, but uh, 
So Waldus is, was back in CEO position for a while, and then they've recently hired Glenn Lurie uh, from AT&T. Actually, he retired from AT&T and then came on as CEO for uh, Synchronous. And Steve Waldus has again stepped back to be executive chairman. So those are two things that have clearly gone pretty wrong. We're going to go with one thing to watch going forward. Now, it might be watching hopefully, or it might be watching carefully, but what's one thing to watch for synchronous shareholders? Well, they're really going forward with the cloud system. And uh, if they can succeed with that and sign up more customers, uh, being the telecom com- companies offering the cloud system to their, their own customers, uh, then that it could work out well for the company, but there's a lot of competition in this space, and so uh, hope for it. But uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, it's going to be a tough road for them. So, what an interesting and sad story. But here we are, less than three years since I made that stock pick, and the company kind of made a big acquisition because you mentioned they sold back Intralinks around a billion dollars. The market capitalization, the value of Synchronous as a company, today is only about a half billion. Right, so they they bid off a huge thing more than they could do. Try to change their business, then sold that off as you mentioned in a profit, and then they're just seemingly just trying to return to the company that they were before. Well, they're a half billion now. Back when they made the acquisition of, uh, uh, they were about two billion. Yeah, don't so, remind me. So they, seventy five percent ago, right? <laughs> well, when a stock drops eighty percent, which is how much synchronous has dropped since I picked it in March of two thousand fifteen, yeah, that market cap's going to come down quite a bit, isn't it? Unfortunately. All right, Jim, thank you very much for pinch hitting. We're a little shorthanded just a week into the new year. So you came over and graciously talked about a rule breaker, even though you're not working on our rule breaker service. So uh, thank you, Jim. I was glad to do it, David. All right. Worst stock I've picked in the last three years, I'm not just going to say number two, because it's number two and number three, and thereby hangs a tail. We might get into that. For this, I'd like to introduce my friend and fool fellow analyst, Abby Mallon. Abby, welcome. Thanks for having me. Abby, how many years have you been at The Fool? Um, Almost three now. Excellent. Where did you come to The Fool from? I came out of our internship program, but before that, I went to Tulane University down in New Orleans. Excellent. Shout out to Tulane. Yeah. And, and Which has a very good investing curriculum. We do. We have a Birkin Road program, so we are... Um, we do like full-scale research reports on small-cap equities. And you were doing that as an undergrad? I was, And yes. we we're lucky to have you here at The Fool. Well, Abby, here you are, and here we are. And we're going to talk about ticker symbol F-E-Y-E. Now, this is a return appearance for this stock, because we did talk about this a year ago, which is a reminder that this will be the last year we talk about this stock, because I made these picks, two of them, in February and June of 2015. We went over how bad FireEye, ticker symbol F-E-Y-E, had been last year, but it's still going, and it's back. And Abby, you're here to talk about FireEye. Thank you very much. First of all, in a couple of sentences, what does this company do? Yeah, so on a very high level, the company's technology, intelligence, and expertise helps to prevent, detect, and resolve cyber threats. But more specifically for FireEye, they actually use a virtual machine technology called Multi-Vector Virtual Execution, or MVX Engine for short. Nice, bringing the acronyms (laughs) with you. Definitely. Um, And they do this, they protect their customers' networks against external threats by simulating an operating system to get malicious code to activate within the virtual machine rather than in the customer's actual network. Very well explained. Yes, indeed. And and, and in addition, um, they had acquired Mandia Corporation, and today the CEO, who was not the CEO, 
when we first picked it three years ago. Today, um, that's Kevin Mandy is the CEO of FireEye. So good. A little bit of background then on what the company does. And and at the time, I was thinking, and I still think this today, that this is an industry that is going to be around for the rest of our lives. Um, as long as there's an internet, as long as there's technology, we're going to need cybersecurity. It's going to grow. That's what I was thinking. And at the time, FireEye was an up and coming player. I liked it. A, a more of a local angle here and a smaller cap company. You're right. It's a big world out there. Abby, what is thing that went wrong number one here with this company and this pick? Yeah. So I think the first thing. Um, when we first looked at it, we liked that what they call sandbox strategy of having this virtual machine. And in our original rec, we actually referenced that 95% of customer trials that um, test FireEye, they actually find a malicious threat missed by a customer's existing security infrastructure. And so there is a superiority to this platform, but just in this highly fragmented market that constantly evolves, you have a lot of big players like Cisco, Juniper Networks, Intel, IBM, Palo Alto Networks, and a variety of other smaller players. Um, this sandbox strategy is seen more of a, an add-on than a necessarily a primary security measure. And so General consensus seems to be that FireEye product is superior. It's still priced at a premium, and many customers may opt for a more comprehensive solution from one of those other existing players rather than adding this on at such a premium. So, I guess thing that went wrong number one is something along the lines of I picked a stock that is a company that is a small company in a huge and growing industry that has constant innovation, mm -hmm. and um, and as it turns out, its application isn't considered core or seminal in the way that some other stocks. And I'm happy to see at least a few other stock picks of ours in there, like you mentioned, Palo Alto Networks. That is a rule breaker and a bigger and clearly superior company. So I understand. What's the thing that went wrong number two here? Yeah, I guess um, more recently. So we've seen the company shift from product sales to subscription revenues, but now we're seeing sort of another transition, and this is to shorter contracts. So in the most recent quarter, their average contract length was about 25 months, as opposed to 27 months a year ago. And management projects that this can come down as low as between 20 and 24 in 2018. So, analysts have a little bit of concerns regarding their customers committing to FireEye's products for the long term. All right, Abby. Now, for those of us who may still own FireEye, and I include myself among them, I personally own these shares that are well down from where I picked. By the way, I should mention that I picked FireEye at $46.17 back on February 20th of 2015. And then, four months later, as it had moved from 46 up to over 53, I recommended again, liking to add to my winners as I do. And that position is now down 73%. So, those two positions down 73 and 68%. For those of us who are in this boat, sitting on the fire eye boat, wondering what we should be looking for, what's something, maybe a note of hope or not for us going forward? Yeah, I think one thing that can provide a little bit of hope for the future is that they are sort of following this typical strategic growth path for a security firm. So they entered the market with a really strong initial product that was very specific, and now they're sort of building out an ecosystem of traditional products around it. And they also have this competitive advantage in the quality and um, recency of the cyber intelligence threat data that they collect. So if they can harness both of those sort of um, advantages to sort of build out a suite of products and maintain that high quality that they've already been known for and have built their brand around, I think this could be still yet turnaround. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I remember part of our thesis three years ago 
was that this was a company that would. We were all hearing at the time about cyber break ins and this or that large retailer giving away millions of email and other information, uh, database break ins. And, and this company would be hired in as the forensic guys who would come in and let you know afterward what had happened. So I, I kind of love this idea of this cyber SWAT team coming in and and fixing things or figuring out what what happens. So so I, it still feels like a big industry and a relevant business. But this is a company, and we may draw some lessons at the very end of this podcast. But this is another company that changed its CEO in just the few years since since I picked it. So something else, a little pattern recognition there, perhaps as well. Abby Mallon, thank you very much for helping us to learn more about FireEye. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right, so it's halftime sticking with my football theme. And so it's time for the marching band to hit the field and me to share with you a sponsor note. This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Casper's mattresses are designed by humans for humans. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Casper's breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. A bunch of fools of Casper mattresses and love them. Considering we spend one-third of our lives on a mattress, it's important to truly sleep on a mattress before committing, and that's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. That's right. So get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com/fool and using promo code fool at checkout. Terms and conditions apply including that 100 nights to try it out. $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com/fool. Promo code fool at checkout. All right. So, here we go with my fourth worst stock pick of the last 3 years. And those first 3, one reflection I have about them is that they were all picked in 2015, so they've had a few years to really, really be bad. This next pick, though, I'm sorry to say I picked less than a year ago, and here we are featuring it on David's Biggest Losers, Volume 3. Yes, the date was June 28th last year. The company, the ticker symbol is TRVG. If you're a Rule Breakers member, and darn it, why wouldn't you be at this point? Although. This is not the best advertisement for Rule Breakers. If you're a Rule Breakers member, you might recognize TRVG as Trivago. The stock today has gone from $20.95 to $7.31 as we tape. So, yep, that's down 65%. That hurts a lot in less than a year, just seven months. Well, to help me think through and do a little analysis of Trivago, I'd like next to welcome Rick Munares. Rick, welcome. Thank you, David. Thank you very much, Rick. How many years have you been at The Fool? It's been 22 years now. This will be 23 once we get to October of 2018. But yes, 22 and change. That is pretty awesome, especially considering we only started the company about 25 years ago. So thank you so much, Rick. And what are a few of the things you do here at The Fool? Uh, I do a little bit of everything, but as far as uh, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm obviously I'm part of the Rule Breakers Motley Fool Rule Breakers team uh, that help you find some of these. Loser stock that wind up on your mixtape, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, I'm also uh, in the Supernova, the Motley Fool Supernova. I am the Phoenix Two uh, lead analyst, uh, where we have a real money portfolio uh, geared towards a retirement-minded uh, approach. And yep. obviously, and I still write a lot of stuff on the editorial side. I have maybe ten, fifteen thousand articles that I've written over these last uh, two more than two decades. 
and I'm still kicking in with articles there. I'm not sure there's a more prolific writer or a better writer that we have at The Motley Fool, and we're not just talking about Rick as a writer. He's a wonderful, gifted stock picker. And Rick, thank you for helping me think about Trivago right now. First up, for those who don't know what the company does, what does Trivago do? Trivago is the leading hotel. Uh, it's like a meta search for hotels and other properties. You know, basically anything from from bed and breakfasts to actual properties to hotels. And there's 1.8 million properties all over the world uh, that have listing pages, and it's basically like a portal, like a search engine, uh, where you punch in a location or a name of a place, and it'll show up there along with advertisements of, of places for you to book that certain property. Uh, so it's basically they're based out of Germany, but it has it's basically they're all over the world. They're in 33 different uh, uh, languages, uh, 55 different localized website versions of it. Uh, so it's pretty much a, a globetrotter in every sense of the word. That's right. And their tagline is, find your ideal hotel for the best price. And if anybody wants to tap into Trivago.com as they're listening to Rick talk about it, you'll notice their opening screen is very similar to Google. It's pretty much just a blinking cursor asking you what you want to search. So what's thing that went wrong, number one, for Trivago, Rick? Well, I mean, if you're going with a football theme uh, for this podcast, I'm going to go with a football theme. I'm going to say that, uh, and I'll make it just as topical as possible, that <laughs> Travaco was, I guess they suffered the Georgia Bulldogs swoon, uh, that they had a great first half, as Georgia did uh, during the, the championship football game against, against Alabama, uh, only to just fall apart in the second half and ultimately lose. Uh, so, so with with Travaco, you had a company that uh, you know went public at eleven, just eleven in late 2016. Uh, obviously, uh, we recommended a rule breaker several months later after it had this monster uh, start to 2017. Yeah, the uh, stock had the- pretty much doubled. The stock pretty much doubled when I decided to pick it then. So, I mean, for a lot of people, Travago isn't nearly as big a loser as it is for us. Right. No, absolutely. Some people, some people, if they found it earlier, they're, they're probably not suffering too badly. Uh, and the stock actually is trading a little bit higher than it was when it bottomed out a, a few weeks ago. So it's, it's, you know, it's all relative, but yeah, we got to go by our starting line. And it's obviously been pretty bad for, for, for you and for us. Uh, but yeah, so it had this great half where it was up six, revenue was up 68%, then 67%. And then we got to the second half where we had 17% growth. And now it's, uh, it's guidance for the fourth quarter, which we obviously haven't heard yet, is for between 2% and 15% growth. And then when we get into overtime, which is when, when, when the Georgia Bulldogs <laughs> ultimately lost to, 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 to Alabama, uh, um, they're expecting possibly no growth at all through the first half of 2018 and resume growth in the second half of the year. So it's, it's pretty much as bad as you can draw a chart for growth, revenue growth, and the stock chart. Uh, clearly, that's one thing that went wrong. And the other thing that went wrong, and I mean, they're probably both related because this is why it went wrong, is because the model was exposed um, with, with Trivago. Um, and I don't mean this in an awful way because obviously uh, there's there's reason why it's still on our scorecard. Is with with Travago, uh, they are basically based on bid base. It's not like a referral thing, like an Expedia or or a TripAdvisor or any kind of other portal or kayak uh, where you're get they're getting money generated based on once you book from somebody else. That once you click on someone, this is a lot like Google, like you said. That once you click on the ad, uh, you know it'll go to whoever paid for that ad. And in the case of Travago, more than half of its revenue is coming from Expedia, which is its former parent company, and Priceline. So the world's two largest travel porters are accounting for more than half of the revenue of Travago. And sometime during the third quarter, um, they, both companies got smart, and they started lowering the bids that they were willing to pay. And while they did suffer, you know, took small hits in traffic, uh, obviously they were happy enough so that they're willing to pay less. So uh, unlike many of uh, the other more successful search engines or portals, 
Travago suffered from these two companies bidding less and actually getting stuff, so they're generating less revenue per referral lead. And that's what pretty much undid the stock uh, where growth just fell apart. Uh, it's this horrific uh, uh, chart that we have right now. All right, Rick, thank you. Now, as you said, we've not even held this stock for eight months at this point. We're not giving up or throwing in the towel. Each of the companies that we're covering this week, David's Biggest Losers, Volume 3, each remains an active recommendation going forward. That means we would buy the shares today. We recommend people consider buying the shares today, even as far down as these companies are. I'll say a little bit more about that later. But, Rick, what is something to continue watching for or hoping for for people who own TRVG or who might be looking at the stock? Yeah, I think I mean some some silver linings to look at, and obviously the stock is trading. It's a busted IPO. It's trading less than the eleven dollar IPO price it went at in late December. Uh, I guess uh, thirteen months ago, is that a fifth of its revenue right now is coming? I mean, Europe is it, Europe is its largest market and followed closely by the Americas, uh, but the rest of the world accounts for about just a little less than a fifth of its total uh, revenue and total business. Uh, yet it accounted for more than half of its growth in the third quarter. So it grew 62% of the referral revenue in the rest of the world compared to 6% in Europe and 12% in the Americas. So it was growing all over. But basically, there's this one section that's growing a lot faster outside of the developed Europe and the Americas market uh, that's working out. And I think um, beyond that, the fact that even though Priceline and the computer are paying less, uh, to reach people, the, the traffic is so strong. There was still twenty percent increase, twenty percent growth in, in referrals in the last quarter. So, the revenue does not reflect the fact that it's still very popular with people booking hotels. Uh, so, you get to a case where by the end of next year, once we go, once we it's, this isn't a hard reset, um, we're just going to keep declining and declining. Uh, one would hope that once we get through these next few quarters, the comparisons will start getting a lot easier, as we've seen with companies that get this one-time hit on things, as we're seeing now with with Trivago. So I think, uh, you know, maybe not immediately, but I think I think towards the latter half of 2018, uh, the stock will hopefully be higher. And I think, uh, you know, maybe not where we bought in, <laughs> where we recommended back in the 20s, uh, but I think it's a good bounce back candidate uh, as we go work through 2018. All right, Rick Minares, thank you very much for that thinking. Not just looking backward, but going forward about Trivago. Thanks, Rick. Full on. All right, and now to my fifth and sixth worst stock picks of the last three years. And for both of them, I've invited my friend Aaron Bush in to talk about them. Aaron, welcome. Thank you, David. Aaron, how long have you been with us at The Fool? Wow. Well, I've been a member now for about ten and a half years, I think, believe it or not. And I've been um, with... Supernova for about almost six years now, and then in-house for about four. Yes, and how old are you, Aaron? I'm 23. And that's pretty awesome. So, Aaron got started as a member, as a subscriber to The Motley Fool, as a teenager, or maybe even, is it fair to say, pre Were you a tween? I was in seventh grade. Whatever age I was in seventh grade is what I was. You were real close to being a tweening fool, and it's a delight to have you here at HQ 10 years later. And It's not a delight, though, Aaron, to have you bringing the message that you are bringing today, because we're going to talk about some horrific losers. Let's do it. Thank you. Now, both of these, because you're going to be presenting them, you know what they are. Both of them, I'm here to make sure I let my listeners know, both of these, speaking of sports and football and athletically-themed podcasts, both of these are athletic companies. So it's kind of all coming together here at the end in a, in a really dark ending. I guess it was meant to be. <laughs> and the first one, the ticker symbol is UA, or if you will, UAA, depending on the share class of stock of the Under Armour Corporation. This one is kind of a shocking loser for me, because I just can't believe it's been such a loser. I mean, 
The other companies we've talked about, Synchronous, FireEye, Trivago, these are not big companies or big brands that people know, but Under Armour is a big brand that is known globally, but especially here in the U.S., um, football, basketball, all of their wicking gear. I mean, we're talking about a big time company that is down from my pick of it at $38.88, August 24th of 2016. So it's been a tough year and a half, down 64%. Aaron, first off, a couple sentences. What does Under Armour do? Sure. Under Armour is a fitness apparel and sports goods company. They sell clothing, footwear, um, accessories for all sorts of sports that are out there. And Aaron, what is thing that went wrong number one for Under Armour? Sure. So I'll keep point number one pretty broad and just point to the North American retail um, woes that are going on right now. As many foolish investors already know, there's a pretty major transition going on in U.S. retail right now. Digital and mobile sales are booming. Many malls are closing. Uh, most big box retailers are actually closing stores now, and a lot of other retail companies are laden with debt or whatever other problems they may have. Um, they're not doing so hot, and and naturally, as big sales points for Under Armour, when those companies struggle, Under Armour kind of has to struggle along with them. So that's that's been a pretty tough environment for them to be in. It sure has been. Aaron, what is thing that went wrong number two? I realize there might be a three, four, and five. You can even pack <laughs> in a few items if you like into number two, but for Under Armour, I'll just call it unprepared over ambition. Um, I don't think. Under Armour can blame the retail sphere for all of its problems. I think that CEO Kevin Plank has always been an ambitious leader. Um, but let me just provide you a couple recent examples of where maybe his ambition was to a fault. So, so first, Under Armour has wanted to play a bigger role in footwear for for many years, and over the past two years or so, they've redoubled their efforts there. Uh, they have Steph Curry as the the face of the brand, you know, well known. Warriors basketball player. Um, but even so, they've struggled with pretty terrible reviews on their shoes and pretty abysmal sales. They operationally just couldn't get it done. They just can't get it done right now. And I don't see them making that much progress in that. And so that's an example of a new line that had a lot of promise that they just have failed to really capture the opportunity there. Uh, second, I'll, I'll say in 2015, Kevin Plank thought connected fitness would be the next big thing. Yeah, and I agreed with him. I mean, I thought it was smart that they were, in a, in a way, sort of becoming a tech company, maybe even disrupting themselves a little bit in order to get into a space where, with all of us, with our mobile phones, we might be part of a huge community of fellow athletes and, like me, lamer athletes, but still part of a community tracking our steps and keeping up, getting insights about fitness for us and getting healthier and it felt like the right thing to do. Sure, and in 2018, it still is a, a big idea. It's still a big possibility that could come true. But I think the issue lied in maybe how Under Armour went about tackling that market. Um, in that year, they spent well over half a billion dollars acquiring pre-revenue connected fitness apps. And the problem there is that the acquisitions really went nowhere. They couldn't figure out strategically how they fit. They never made any money. Um, they're barely even mentioned anymore, even on earnings calls. Mm. Um, but also, this big financial move completely destroyed the healthy balance sheet that the company had. Now, Under Armour has $800 million in net debt, and that's pretty 
significant for a $6.5 billion company now. And so, if you combine these flops with expectations that, you know, in 2015, 2016, um, the PE was, it tipped 100 at one point. It's pretty easy to see why the stock came crashing down. And now the company is worth what, roughly? $6.5 billion. $6.5 billion. And that's. That's uh, so far down from where it was three years ago. Mm-hmm. So, a very ambitious CEO, a founder led company, a, a guy who's created a huge amount of value. Just if you think about his roots as a University of Maryland football player and then transitioning into becoming CEO of a dynamic company. So, take it all in all, it's a remarkable story of winning. But in the last three years, it's been a remarkable story of losing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A big theme for this. This podcast, and I'll have a couple quotes at the end to talk, to speak to this. <laughs> so, Aaron, what's one thing we can watch going forward as Under Armour shareholders, and I include myself, of course. Sure. So, beneath a really strong brand that Under Armour still has, they have two promising growth engines: uh, international sales and direct-to-consumer sales. International sales right now represent only twenty percent of revenue or so, and direct-to-consumer is about thirty-five percent of revenue. And there's some overlap in there, uh, but both of those are growing very rapidly. And when you look at Under Armour and how small it is compared to to Nike, which I believe is now a one hundred billion dollar company, and, and they use to be much close the ratio used to be much lower but 100 or so to 6 is like we're 15 20 times larger than you were and it was not that way 4 years ago right so that big gap still exists and so the way i see it is the the opportunity the runway is still there but it the, these headwinds will still persist persist but the opportunities of international growth and direct to consumer growth still remain mm. all right thus much for under armor we'll keep Waiting, watching, and in my case, hoping, and you know, still believing. Believing. I mean, it's been a really tough few years. They kind of shot themselves in the foot just by investing so much in something that hasn't shown up so well for them. Making some acquisitions. Another theme that's emerging this week's podcast: making some poor acquisitions. Um, but we'll we'll watch. Okay, that brings us to stock number six. Aaron, you're going to stay right in that hot seat. You're going to help me think through yet another horrendously bad stock pick that I've made in the last. Few years. This one, it was May 25th, 2016. So here we are, still less than two years later. I'm not going to say the company name yet. It is athletically focused, though. The stock at the time was at $14.06. I liked it. So I said, Yes, this is our newest rule breaker. I said about ticker symbol FIT, company name Fitbit. I said, Yes, this has a lot of the makings, the look of a rule breaker. And today it's gone from $14.06 less than two years later to $5.67 or so as we're taping. Aaron, what does Fitbit do in a few sentences? Fitbit is another fitness company. They deal with wearable technology. They're most well known for their wristband wearables, and they sell some other accessories too. Pretty iconic when those came out at first, weren't they? They were. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was rocking a jawbone myself, and now I'm kind of using my Apple Watch. I may or may not be foreshadowing where you're heading with this, but um, but Fitbit. I mean, a, a brand that. Especially here in America, all of us would have would have recognized whether or not we were rocking a Fitbit, a Jawbone, or nothing at all. So, Aaron, what is one thing thing that went wrong? Number one for Fitbit, as you alluded to, uh, Fitbit was on fire there for a while. Sales were on fire, 
but then it flamed out. So from 2013 to 2015, Fitbit sales rose from $271 million to over $1.8 billion. And that is just amazing It really is. (laughs) And so during that time, there was a lot of hype surrounding wearables, and Fitbit's product and Fitbit the company really was the top dog and first mover in this trend. Um, But unfortunately, even though the products are improving, the hype today and over the past year or so just hasn't persisted. And the hype cycle's downside is sometimes tough to overcome as it goes through that that trough there. That said, sales... um, have flamed out from more than just the hype, though. Um, The market is now more competitive, which for Fitbit has meant cutting prices in order to to retain market share. Um, And it turns out that their retention rates are actually very low. And so, people are not seeking upgrades, maybe at the same rate that they were buying into the devices in the first place. And so, if we look just over the past year, over the past 12 months, sales are down about 30% from where they were a year ago. And where are sales roughly? Sales right now are $1.6 billion. Right, so not even that much farther down from where they were a few years ago, but the growth rates have not just slowed, they've gone negative, and that's hurt this stock very badly. Aaron, what is the thing that went wrong number two for Fitbit and its shareholders? I'll call it troublesome expense control. So today, Fitbit is losing more money than it ever made. In 2015, Fitbit made $336 million in operating profits. Mm -hmm. And over the past 12 months, the company has lost $363 million. So, a complete flip. Complete flip, night and day. And even as sales have fallen over the past two years, Years, Fitbit's doubled its R&D spending and it's boosted its SG&A expenses by 50%. And so they're in a bit of a catch-22 situation right now. Fitbit needs to spend a lot of money to stay relevant, but the cost of staying relevant is digging a pretty major hole in its income statement. Yes. Ouch. Okay, Aaron, what is one thing we can look <laughs> at, maybe hope for going forward? One positive note is that Fitbit has a lot of cash. The company has $659 million of cash and short-term investments in the bank. It has no debt. And for perspective, that cash represents about 50% of the company's market cap right now, which yeah, so is incredibly so high. So the company's worth about $1.2 billion or so, and they've got 600 just sitting there in their bank account. Right. Uh, and over the past year, Fitbit's burned or lost about $50 million in cash. So at that rate, it has about a 13 year runway before all of its cash is gone, um, which hopefully they can turn it around. But that gives them um, a pretty long time compared to many other companies that are burning that, that rate of money to, to find a solution to invest heavily in technology and to, to really put that cash to work. All right. Aaron, thank you very much for sitting through the misery with me of two of our worst rule breakers. Two stocks that I personally picked for rule breaker members. I hate that this is true, but they're both down 60% or more just in the last couple of years. Well, I'm happy to be here, David. (laughs) (laughs) So there you have it, David's Biggest Losers, Volume 3. Six stock picks, all down 60-80% to over the last three years. And darn it, it's been a great three years. As I said earlier in the podcast, this is normal. And it's hard after slogging through 45 minutes or so of sad and bad stock picks to remember and have that perspective. But it's going to be pretty natural for us as rule breaker investors to have losers like these. 
a lot of people, when they start investing, they live in fear of a single loser. Or if their stock, first stock pick drops 20%, that for many people, that can feel devastating. Well, you've just spent around an hour with me talking about stocks that are all down well more than 50%. And these are picks made in the last few years. So I hope, as a fellow rule breaker, you understand that, you have that mentality. And I would be remiss if I didn't point out that we've had tremendous winners over the last three years. Naturally, we're focused on the losers this week. But in our Rule Breakers service, Take Two Interactive is up 223% in the last few years. Planet Fitness up 177%. Shopify up 429% and 324%, as I re recommended it. NetEase up 99%. Over in Stock Advisor, we've got Match Group, Match.com and Tinder up 185%, Stamps.com up 146%, uh, Match Group again up 100%, and Nvidia up 116%. So, looking at these two services, we are replete with winners. Those are just the ones that have triple-digit returns or better. We have a lot of plus 50s and plus 60s. So, I want you to know that we have, and we should, darn it. We should all have a lot of winners over these last three years because it's been a tremendous stock market environment that none of us should expect to be the same in 2018 as it's been in 2017, 16, or 15. But I will say, things have started pretty well for investors in 2018. So, if you own any of my worst picks, give yourself a minus one this week. If you own more than one, then feel free to add up minus one plus minus one plus minus one. But also make sure you put in the plus column if you heard names of any winners that you hold. And we have a lot in both Motley Fool Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers. All right, just a few lessons and inspirational football quotes to close. But first, let me end by thanking Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple. It allows you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. So, to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. Thank you, Rocket Mortgage. All right, so a few lessons then to close. I think you already heard some recurring themes. You heard about some bad acquisitions. You heard it in at least one case about having to restate financial statements. You heard about changing CEOs, FireEye, Synchronous. What you didn't hear, this is interesting, you didn't hear any biotechs this year. It's very natural. I have a lot of biotech stock picks, a lot of more aggressive medical industry companies, and none of them appeared on this year's David's Biggest Losers list. There were a few there last year. Most years should have them, but sure enough, 2017 was a tremendous year for biotech. It was ironic to me then that having picked my football theme, that we would have some athletic losers there near the end, which reminds me to give you a few more inspirational football quotes about winning and losing. The first one I'm going to give is Tony Dungy, the longtime NFL coach. Tony Dungy, who once said, I just think winners win. And guys who won all the way through high school and college, the best player at every level, they have a way of making things happen and winning games. And I agree with you, Tony Dungy, and that's why we spend a lot of time looking and talking about winners here at Rule Breaker Investing. Because while I love doing David's Biggest Losers every year, I actually really do love doing this podcast. That's why we go extra long for this one each year. While I love doing it, I always make this point, which is don't learn too well your lessons from your losers. I have profited much more in life by studying what's winning, what is succeeding, 
and learning my lessons from those things. After all, if you ended up looking at a company like Trivago, let's pretend you bought shares of Trivago, an internet play, a company doing good work, whose stock has been crushed over the last year or so, and you decided, you know, I'm just not going to buy any internet or travel companies, you would have missed a great stock pick like, well, Match Group that I mentioned earlier. That's an internet brand. Or within the travel space, maybe you would not have bought Priceline, which has been one of our great stock picks we've ever made at The Motley Fool. So, my message is, don't try to learn too well your lessons from your losers. Stick with me and Tony Dungy. Find those winners that do not just keep on winning, but tend to find new ways to win when they need to. And in that same regard, here's one more football coach winning and losing quote. This one comes from the great Washington Redskins coach of your, Joe Gibbs, who said, quote, failures are expected by losers, ignored by winners, end quote. And that's kind of what I'm saying. I don't think you should fully ignore your losers. After all, on at least one podcast each year, we celebrate them. But I think winners tend not to get preoccupied with their losers or spend too much time. And one of the great mathematical benefits for all of us as investors, as long as you're not adding to losers on the way down, which we almost never do here at The Motley Fool, as long as you're not doing that, as stocks lose, the good news, if there needs to be any, the good news is that they matter less and less to you, because they occupy less and less of your portfolio. Final reflection. A year ago on this very podcast, David's Biggest Losers Volume 2, we covered two companies. GoPro, which I mentioned earlier, at the time was at 9, down from 80. It was a horrendous stock pick. In the last year, it's gone from 9 to 6. So, sometimes these companies don't really come back. But at the same time, last year's podcast, we covered Restoration Hardware, which touched down the year at 30. And since then, in the year intervening, Restoration Hardware has gone from 30 to 95. So, yes, sometimes they do come back. So, I'm not especially plugging any of the companies we covered this year. There might be one that continues to lose value. There might be one that triples from here. You know which way I'm hoping. Maybe you are, too. But in the meantime, thanks a lot for joining with me and my fellow fools as we talk through the losers of 2017. All right, next week, something entirely different. Hey, next week, let's get back to winning. In the meantime, have a lovely week. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rulebreaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.